Well, good morning. What a beautiful weekend we have. Amen? And those of you joining us online, thanks for joining us. We're so glad you're here. You know, somebody has said, and I think it's a good uh, statement, freedom is not free. And it isn't. And I think we often take our freedom for granted. The fact that we are able to meet here freely, the act of worshiping, the act that we have, uh, that we can do that this morning, is something we often take for granted. There are many brothers and sisters around the world that can't do that. And so we don't want to take it for granted. And we want to remember that freedom comes at an incredible cost. I want to read you a quote from C.K. Chesterton. He says this, Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. And there are many people who risked their lives and gave their lives so that we could be free, that we could gather this morning, that we could worship together. And we often take those freedoms for granted, and we don't want to do that. So I want to take, give you just a moment of silence where you can thank God for the freedoms that we have today and for those who gave the greatest cost they could, their very lives, so that we could be free. And then I'll close that time in prayer. Let's just thank the Lord for the freedoms that we do have. Father, we do thank you that we do have the freedoms in America that many of our brothers and sisters around the world do not have. They can't assemble in an open place um, and worship and learn from your word and pray. We pray for them and we thank you that we have this incredible freedom. And unfortunately, Father, many times we take it for granted but we thank you for the many people who risked their lives and gave their lives so that we could be free and gave their life so that we could live. We're so thankful and so grateful for them, giving the ultimate cost. May we never take it for granted. May we always just be amazed by our freedom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. But with that freedom, we also have a problem. And I had planned in going a different direction this morning. But with the shootings this last week, I felt like I really needed to take some time and pray for those who have gone through incredible trauma. Um, I think about this this past Tuesday, as many of you know, at Robb Elementary School in Texas. Uh, Nineteen children, two teachers, were gunned down. Um, school. We, we, we too easily put together these two words, school shooting. School should be a place of learning, not a place of dying. On May uh, 14th in Buffalo, a uh, grocery store was targeted because of an African-American audience, and um, 10 people were gunned down. A place to go shopping 
should be a place of safety, but it's not. On May 15th in Laguna Wood, uh, California, at church, one person was killed, five wounded, and we could list other shootings. But think about the venues, a school, a store, a church, places that we feel like we should be safe. We're not. In 1974, a friend of mine, 1974, 1974, a friend of mine barricaded himself in our high school and began to shoot people. And when all was said and done, Tony killed three people and wounded 11. That may have been one of the first school shootings ever recorded in U.S. history. It happened in my high school. Tony was very smart. He was from a good family. He was on track to be the valedictorian of our, our class. And something snapped. Something went wrong. And people died and people were changed forever. And I don't have answers. And I don't think there are easy answers and solutions to what we're experiencing in our culture. But I do know this, that everyone in this room and everybody watching is just crying out for a change of some sort, that this would stop. And I just want to pray. I want to pray for those who have just gone through incredible loss. And I want to pray for just a bunch of stuff. So I'm going to just pray certain things, and it may be that these reflect your heart, and you can offer them too. It may be that you will add on or take off or make it your prayer. But here's where my heart is at. So would you just bow your head, and let's just pray right now. Father, our hearts are breaking. We have seen the effects of sin and evil. We are broken. We need help more than ever. We ask that you would be very, a very present help in this time of need in those who have lost so much by these evil acts, these evil deeds. We pray that you would be a very present help and a very... Um, just we don't even know how to pray we do thank you father that you still are on the throne and one day you will finally deal with sin and evil once and for all in a way father we know we are responsible to do something to stop this violence show us each one of us what our next step should be to bring about change Help us to be the peacemakers because that's what the world needs so much right now. Let us lead the change by bringing peace and hope into the relationships that we have. Help us to bring healing instead of conflict. Help us to de-escalate rather than escalate. Help us to bring... uh,
help into these relationships. And Father, I have fumbled, but your Spirit knows my heart and our hearts. And I pray that He would take our prayer, that He would use it for your glory, and that our country would change because we are changing it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's hard to make a transition from that to what we've been talking about. But when you think about it, really, it's all about stress. It's all about anxiety. It's all about the things that we can't control, that we fret over. And all this is just another one. I have a Bible study um, on a weekly basis with some of the teachers that and we just kind of, we've been doing the Zoom uh, the last couple of years, and it actually works out pretty well. But one of the things we do at the end of the study every week is I pray for the schools and I pray for the teachers, and I pray that God would put a hedge of protection around the schools and around the teachers, that it would keep them safe. Can you imagine that? They were praying that they would be safe. And where do I get that from? I get it from the book of Job where God basically says to the enemy, you can go this far but no further. In other words, God puts a hedge of protection around Job. And I'm praying that for the schools and for the teachers, that they would have a safe environment. But as a parent, when you send your kids back to school, here's something else to be anxious about, to worry about, right? And we have all those things. At work, we have expectations at work. We um, have difficult people we work with. It may be our boss. It may be our coworkers. We have uh, the mental and the physical strains of work. We have the, the um, ethical challenges of work, right? Because uh, maybe your boss is asking you to do something that's unethical. And you, what do you do? Because ultimately, if you don't do it, you might get fired. And you need a job because you got bills and those bills aren't going to wait. So what do you do? This series we've been talking about how our faith should influence our work. And we've been trying to tear down the wall. And Mark did a good job last weekend because he was trying to show us, and we've been kind of hitting this every week, that there shouldn't be a difference between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred uh, and the secular, between work and worship, that, that there is no division in God's mind, that how we behave here and now should not be any different than how we behave uh, at 11 o'clock on Monday morning when we're working. The question is, and we want to deal with today is, how do we deal with the stress of work? Because I think if, if we work, we have stress. It can be the people we work with. It can be the job we're doing. It could be just the wear and tear on us. It, it could be the deadlines. It could be a whole bunch of things. So how do we deal with it? What do you do? What I'm going to share with you is kind of some principles that I think we're going to draw from the Word of God, from Philippians 4. And here's the thing. These will not change the stressors of your work. They're not going to change the people around you. 
They're not going to change the, the job tasks and the, the, you know, the, the different things that are being put on you. They're not going to take away the ethical or the physical. or the, those cha- It's not going to change that, but what it will change is how you respond to it. And actually, that will change everything. So that's kind of where we're going to go. So I heard this story about a guy. He had a friend, and his friend was always stressed out about everything. Work, family, finances, health, everything. He was always stressed out. And he noticed over the last few months that his friend was making an incredible change. He was like laid back. He was chill. He was like cool. You know what I mean? It was like it was a big difference. So he goes to his friend and he says, I have noticed an incredible difference in your life. What is changed? He says, well, I hired a guy to take care of all my anxiety and stress. He handles it. He charges me $1,000 a week, and he takes it all off my plate. And he said to his friend, he says, $1,000 a week? How in the world do you afford that? He goes, I don't know. That's his problem. I thought we had a laugh about something. So, the passage we're going to look at is Philippians 4. If you want to turn there, Philippians 4, verse 4. It's an, it gives us an important perspective um, of how we should view stress and worry and anxieties. And specifically, we can apply it to our work today. But let me read it to you. Uh, By the way, this is one of those passages that you should be reading over and over and over and memorizing. And that's really one of the best ways to memorize. Just read it over and over. Uh, Put it on a card. Put it on your mirror when you're getting ready or in your car. And as you're, uh, well, that's not a good idea. You take your, can you imagine that? You put that on your car and you're reading it and you get into an accident. And the officer said you were distracted. You were looking at your phone. No, I wasn't. I was looking at a verse. It's not much better, is it? All right, Philippians 4, 4, all right? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Well, how do you handle stress in your workplace? He gives us five really pretty clear points here. First one is don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Just don't do it, right? Um, the number one stressor in your life isn't your job and it isn't your relationships and it isn't your health and it isn't your finances. The number one stressor is your worry, your anxiety, how you respond to it. And notice he commands us not to worry. So that means there's something we can do not to worry. We're not held hostage by this. This isn't something that we can't do. And I think it's really important that that in itself may be one thing you'll take from this message. I don't have to walk around anxious and worried. I don't have to do it. It's not necessary for me to do that. 
We have the ability to say no to anxiety. Look at Jesus basically says the same thing in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough enough trouble of its own. So why should you not worry? Because God knows your situation. It's not a surprise. It might be a surprise to you, but it's not a surprise to him. He knows what you're going through. He knows what it is to have... uh, to be uh, mistreated. He knows what it is to be maligned. He knows what it is to uh, be with difficult people. He understands all of that. Um, So he understands your situation. He has a plan for your life, and he is working in the most extremely stressful situations that you may find. And here's the thing. Many times when we're in those stressful situations, we think we're there alone. You're not. He's there with you. He has a plan. He wants to use it. And uh, that's what Romans 8.28 is all about. And we know that all things, uh, in, in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So Paul is saying that God is working in the midst of your stress, in the midst of your anxiety at work, and he's using that because he wants to do something in your life. So that's the first thing. Don't worry about anything. Secondly, pray about everything. Pray about everything. And I know many of you heard me say this before, or you've heard it before. Here's the biggest mistake we make. We worry about everything, and we don't pray about anything. We do exactly the opposite of Scripture, don't we? I mean, have you ever had this happen where you're, you're, you're worried about something, you're talking to somebody about it, and they, they do this dumb thing. They ask you, did you pray about it? Well, no. Well, when are you going to pray about it? You know, it's like, yeah, I know you're right, but I don't want to admit it, okay? But essentially, they are right. Because Scripture says, don't worry about it, pray about it. We, what do we do? We worry about it, and we don't pray about it. Here's what I want you to do. Stick with me here. At work and at other times, when you're stressing, pray about it. Pray about it. We need to catch ourselves. We need to stop and pray. And we need to say, what is it that's stressing me out right now? name it. Naming it is a really powerful and helpful thing to do. Here's what I found. When I pray about something, when I name it, it doesn't go away. (laughs) It doesn't. But here's what happens. My attitude changes. Why? Because I've just allowed heaven to be part of this discussion. I've just allowed God to be part of this discussion. I've just made the plan bigger. I've made the perspective bigger. And when I make the perspective bigger, when I include heaven, when I include Jesus in this, uh, good things happen. Worry really comes down to this. It's a lack of trusting God's plan. I found that prayer itself won't change my situation, but it will change my perspective and it will change my attitude. 
that little exercise of just stopping, naming it, and praying about it may be the one thing that you need to do. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. And then it says this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety upon him. Can I give you a picture, and I think I've done this before, let me give you a picture of this. Many times we're carrying these backpacks and they're filled with all the things that make us anxious. My health is not good. I'm struggling in my job, my relationships. We have all these things that we have on our bag and we just get bogged down, right? And what the writer, what Peter says is, take it off, it's not yours. Stop carrying it around, it's not yours. You have to picture yourself and maybe that's what you have to do. You have, to, have you ever gone on a hike and you have this really heavy pack and you're, you're, you know, your, your lower back is bothering you, and then all of a sudden you come to a place and you say, okay, let's take a rest, and you take that bag off, and you say, oh. You have to do that. You have to mentally see yourself taking that off. Praying can immediately bring stress relief, but here's what I found about those. When you cast those off, they want to jump back on, and you got to make sure you don't let them back on. All right. So that's number one. Pray about everything, all right? No, that's not number one, is it? No, it's a, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And then number three, thank God in all things. Notice uh, flip, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Now, a clarification point, the, the scripture doesn't say thank God for all circumstances. It says in all circumstances. There's a huge difference between those two prepositions. One of them says you walk around and you say, God, thank you for cancer. God, thank you for the car accident. God, thank you for... No, that's, that's crazy talk. What it says is, God, thank you that in the midst of this cancer, you're with me. God, thank you that in this terrible accident that I was part of, you were there too. You don't thank him for that. You thank him that he's there in that. There's a huge difference there. How, do we, how can we be thankful in every situation? Well, we need to develop an attitude of gratitude. Um, what are you grateful for? Here's a few things, your life, your mind, your freedom, your food, your clothing, your shelter. God has given in this audience and probably the one watching online, you folks online, God has given you more in your life than most people who have ever lived on this planet. Do you realize that? Do you realize that you have clean water, you have a bed to sleep in, and you have shelter. You have hot water. Somebody said, I thank God for hot showers. I do too. Do you know there's people around the world that have never taken a hot shower? They don't know what a hot shower is. They're, 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 they're trying to find food for today. 
They don't, they have clothing. Uh, it's funny that I go to these third world countries and they're wearing all these colleges and stuff from the United States. <laughs> they didn't make them there. This is stuff that we kind of threw away. They're living off of our throwaways. And we are the most anxious, worried people on the planet. And yet we are in the top 90% of the richest people that ever walked on this earth. It's really closer to 95. We don't often see from God's perspective, do we? That God has a plan for your life for good. That, the, that pain will not last forever, that God is preparing us a place in heaven for those that love him, that God can use those hard things at work to grow you, to make you better. Here's, here's what I want you to do. The next time that you are at work and you're struggling with something, instead of saying, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? Instead of doing that, which we're very good at, by the way, could we just do this? Could we say, God, what is it that you want to teach me through this? What is it that you want me to learn? James talks about going through trials and tribulations, and he says, rejoice. And you go, what? What he's talking about here is this is an opportunity for you to grow, if you'll let it. But it all takes a change in your perspective. So let me just stop for a minute. What are you thankful for today? What are you thankful for? Can you name three things in your own heart, in your own mind right now? Just think of three things that you're thankful for. You should be able to list those boom, boom, boom. And if you can't, you need to do this exercise more often. You got them? One, two, three. Do that on a regular basis. If you ever wondered what God's will for you in the workplace is, we have it here. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks in all circumstances. That doesn't mean that you aren't cognizant of the people you're working with that are jerks or the job, the stresses. It just means you choose to rise above them. You choose to have a different attitude. Now, here's the thing. You can't do this. Everything that I've told you to do, you can't do it by yourself. You need the power of the Spirit of God within you to do this. You can't do this on your own. This, this is like walking up to a 1,000-pound weight and thinking that you're going to lift it up. You can think you can do it, but you're going to fail every time. You need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to do this. That's why we're told in Scripture to keep in step with the Spirit. Okay? Jesus was always in tune with the Father, being led by the Spirit. And he had the same tools that we have. Jesus said, I'm going to give you another helper. He won't be with you like me. He will dwell in you, and he will help you. And one of the reasons you are failing is you are not keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. You have sin in your life. You need to confess, and you need to ask the Spirit of God to control you and to guide you. You need to take your hands off the wheel and allow him to drive. And some of you are struggling with that. Scripture constantly encourages us to keep in step with the Spirit. At school, at home, at work, everywhere, okay? 
Here's number four from our passage. Set your mind on good things. Notice what it says here. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. In other words, what Paul is saying is, this is really important, you get to change your mind. Can I say that one more time? You don't have to be controlled. You can change your mind. Now, in the Bible, the mind and the heart are kind of used interchangeably a lot of times. Okay? So, you get to change your mind. We use a phrase, our heart. So, here's what I want you to hear. I want you to talk back to your heart this week. Our culture tells you to this, listen to your heart, follow your heart, right? Isn't that what, your heart tell, what you're told by your culture? Follow your heart. Listen to your heart. That's bad advice. Scripture tells us not to trust our hearts, to talk back to our hearts, to guard our hearts, because they're fickle. And when you pray, you talk back to your heart. You don't let your heart set the direction of your life. You choose it. You get to choose your attitude. You don't get your heart, allow your heart to tell you how you should feel. I want you to see this verse. This this verse helped me a number of years ago. Psalm 42, this is Psalm of David, verse 5. Notice what it says. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 42, 5. What's David doing? Who's he talking to? He says, why, my soul, are you? Who is he talking to? He's talking to his heart. You know what he's doing? He's telling his heart to knock it off. He's talking back to his downcast heart. He's calling it out. And so should we. Stop letting your heart run the rule of the day. Stop letting your heart tell you how you feel. Instead, you tell your heart. Don't be downcast. Paul says, think on these things. Change your mind. Change your heart. Change the direction of your heart. Change the conversation. Have you done that with your kids where they come in and they're all kind of negative and you see that and you say, okay, I want to change this. You, you don't say it to them, but you kind of introduce some positivity into it and you change it and all of a sudden now the conversation is changed. That's what you got to do with your heart. You will over, be overcome with worry, stress, and anxiety when you let your heart call the shots in your life. Worry is nothing more than a, what, what Scripture calls a divided heart. Do you remember the time in the New Testament where Jesus is at Mary and Martha's house and Martha's working really hard and she comes out. She's mad because she's doing all the work and um, Mary, her sister, is sitting at the feet of Jesus doing nothing. She's not doing her job. And so Martha comes, you know, she says, you know, tell my sister to come help me. And this is Jesus. Jesus says this to her. He says, Martha, Martha, uh, you are worried and upset about many things, but 
there a few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. When I'm stressed, it usually means I've let my heart go off. You get to choose what you're going to do. Martha is all upset about everything. And Jesus says, you don't have to do that. You're worried about all these things. Mary has chosen one thing. In the end, there's only one thing that matters in your life. Where you stand with God. And if that's settled, then everything else is gravy. Here's the last thing he says. Be content with all things. I've noticed that our culture is less and less content. That we're told by Madison Avenue, you need this, you need more, you got to have this, you got to have this. And, and, and here's how it plays out. Our culture constantly tells us, you need this to be happy, you need this to be happy, you need this to be happy. So we're never happy, we're never, never satisfied. Um, the pursuit of more only leads to more and more stress. Think about it. If you have a car that's worth, let's say your car is worth $2,000 on a good day. It's got 100 and let's say a hundo, let's say hundo 1500. It's, it's got a lot of miles on it. The tires aren't very good. And all of a sudden you're in the parking lot and the cart comes and hits the car and you go, yep. There's another scrape in the paint. Don't really care. Not really worried. But let's just change. And let's just say that you have an $80,000, beautiful, four by four, all tricked out, beautiful paint job, and all of a sudden a cart hits your car. Guess what happens? Your day is ruined. My beautiful car has a scratch. The more you have, the more you worry. Makes sense, doesn't it? If you have a lot, you worry about a lot. Jesus says to Martha, few things are needed. Indeed, only one. We need to simplify our lives. We need to understand what is the most important thing. Like I said, there are people in this world who would trade with you in two seconds to have clean water, to have food, to have shelter, to have clothing, to have any kind of medical care. They would trade with you in seconds. And yet we worry about things that don't matter. That's what Jesus was telling Martha. We need to simplify our lives and choose to be content. Less is better. And Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And think about it. If you have one week to live, most of the things you're stressing over right now, you would not be stressing over. Well, how do you deal with stress at work? And let's, let's just quickly review and then we'll close. Number one, don't worry about anything. 
Number two, pray about everything. Don't mix those up. Don't get those wrong because we do it the opposite. We worry about everything. We don't pray about anything. Instead, Paul says, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. And then number three, thank God in all things. Not for all things, but in all things. Number four, set your mind on the good things. Change your mind. Tell your heart to knock it off. Don't follow your heart. Instruct your heart. Change your heart. Guide your heart. And then number five, be content. Be content. You're living in a world that tells you you should never be content. Scripture tells you be content. If you have food and clothing and shelter, you are further ahead than most of the people that live on this planet. Thank God for it. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, help us deal with the stress of work and life. Help us to have a different attitude. We can't really change our circumstances, but we can change our attitude. We can't do it on our own, but with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we can So we ask you to guide us and direct us. Show each and every one of us what is the one or two areas in our lives where we have, we can make a change that will make a big change, not necessarily in our circumstances, but in our perspective, in our outlook. And that can change everything. So Father, do a work in each and every one of our hearts, the right work, the perfect work. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.